What? You have a fixed phone? Yeah, but like I... Like a normal, like a... Yeah. In the hallway? In the living room, but I actually need to do something about it. Um, <laughs> it's the, the, um, the subscription is bundled with my internet. Oh, yes. Or was and then they changed it all and then I, I've still got their subscription I probably need to get rid of it but it's the it's the number my mother prefers to ring it's just my phone is my phone is strange at the moment so would you, even if she rings she doesn't get through <laughs> uh, you know I think I got my first my first mobile phone I think it was in uh, 97 and since then I have not had a fixed line phone a fixed line no 97 long time it was a, i think it was a siemens phone you think it was i think it was a siemens phone Ooh. my first uh, mobile phone my first mobile phone that was an ericsson oh one of these black bricks was that when you were working for ericsson it was <sighs> they brought you they brought you into modern life <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> anyway shall we start Hi, Janina. <laughs> Hi. So it's in the middle of summer here in Sweden, and it's uh, hot. It's it's baking here because they're, they're still working on my apartment, so there's no ventilation whatsoever. Oh no. Well, that's it's just a little bit, a tiny little bit of ventilation. But when it's hot like this, it's uh, it's a bit like climbing in the oven. Ah. Um, but uh, sometimes I'll take myself to, off to the park, but not today because I'm here to talk uh, podcast and fudge. Yeah, and we're actually just keeping this quite short because we have a longer and very interesting interview about 5G in the US of A or North America but yeah I think America, we even. yeah mainly but mostly the US and A yes and uh, and then we've got a kind of news roundup as well so of what's happening in the US so uh, I think we'll skip the news as well today yeah so let's keep this short and the let's just tell everyone that uh, after this podcast we will be back with uh, more and exciting 5G information for you in this uh, The Voice of 5G podcast from Ericsson in September. So I guess we can say uh, happy summer after the interview with Peter Linder, right? We can, but let's go over to Peter. Yeah. Today on the Voice of 5G podcast, we are visited by the head of 5G marketing for North America, Peter Linder. Uh, Peter, welcome to back to Sweden for the summer. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and a uh, pleasure to be here on the, on the podcast. Yeah, and just so you know, there out there, we do record this uh, from our home as usual. It's just that... We can do it in Swedish time, <laughs> right, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> we can do it in Swedish time, but it's probably a good idea not to do it in Swedish. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we will lose a lot of listeners then. Uh, so, Peter, uh, we we just had Annette uh, uh, Lundvall from the 
mobility report team uh, in the last episode uh, talking about 5G and the the uh, what's happening there, uh, what statistic they can see. So what what makes 5G special in the US? That's my first question. I think uh, 5G in the US is special from a couple of different different ways. The first one, we started very early with 5G. The first uh, deployments were done in, in 2018. And uh, there's also the second thing is perhaps that we are building in all three spectrum bands. So low band, mid band and high band focused like as everywhere else on uh, enhanced mobile broadband. We also see a lot of interest for fixed wireless access, uh, especially as there's a big focus right now in North America to close the digital divide. There's a $65 billion uh, government initiative to actually seriously take a, give it a go at that. And that's where we see fixed wireless access will play a key role in contributing to closing the divide. So that's so kind of some, some areas where I see standing out. There's a lot of other things, but that some of the things that's standing out. So, so how's it going with, in terms of coverage in the, in the US now, in terms of the rollout? Yeah, so you see that the, the, the rollout's happening a little bit different ways across the different bands. So there's uh, one focus, which is a nationwide uh, build of coverage, and that is taking place in low band. So um, mm. it's 600, 700, 850 megahertz spectrum, depending on different uh, service providers have different spectrum assets. But that one's very much progressing quite far down, um, down the road now in building coverage for across the whole country. The second thing that's happening is, uh, well, that perhaps actually what it started with was very much the high band deployments. The high band is being deployed uh, more in specific areas, so not for blanket coverage, but uh, for example, in, in areas where there's a high population uh, concentration uh, at, at, at some point in time at different places like venues and factories and things like that. So I would describe it more as a zone a zone that's bigger than a Wi-Fi hotspot, but smaller one than what you cover with a normal macro antenna. And then on the mid-band, there's a number of different things going on there. T-Mobile is building aggressively in two and a half gigahertz, the spectrum that they got through the acquisition of Sprint. Mm -hmm. uh, we have introduced CBRS, which is um, 150 megahertz of spectrum, which is more of shared nature so that these other players and the service providers that have got access to that spectrum, that doesn't reach so far, but it's interesting for more localized uh, networks. And then we had a big auction for 280 megahertz of C-band, which is called C-band spectrum between 3.7 and 3.98 gigahertz here in the spring. Uh, so that is what, uh, what is planning for right now uh, for, for nationwide build-out starting in the major metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. Can you just describe the CBRS a little bit? What is that? So CBRS is, um, is 150 megahertz of spectrum, which is um, of two different types. One was called, uh, when it's generic access, so anyone can use it. You don't need any license to, to use that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one is uh, it's called PAL, and that's for primary access license holders. So that's when you have actually acquired spectrum. So that is something like that um, that different players can buy, which don't have to be dependent on the on, on the regular spectrum. So it's it's a band that is designed for different kind. We expect it to be it's going to be used for fixed wireless and so certain application by fixed providers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be used in yeah. industrial settings or for, for outdoor 
both outdoor and indoor for people that don't have licenses or for private networks. So um, it is a band with a lot of potential and uh, it, I guess it just remained to be seen exactly how it's going to be built out and scaled. Mm. But it's but, it's a little bit unique. Actually, yep. Sorry, I was going to say that's actually licensed on quite small granularities, quite small areas. Yes. Um, so so you can have a, a lot of people effectively using the same spectrum but all using it in different different places exactly and also so you can buy it on a on, on a small city or on, on that basis so it's, it's just divided in very small uh, granular pieces but it's also half of the spectrum is in theory not licensed at all it's it's, it's unlicensed uh, so that you can use it without having any license at all but then you of course always have the risk of other traffic interfering the traffic you're trying to get across it seems to be some talk about this CBRS spectrum. It seems to be very important for for the US. Is this also, Paul, is this something that's uh, also available in other areas of the world? Or is it getting important? Well, not not quite in the same way, but, the, mm -hmm. but there is spectrum, for instance, in places like Germany and I think in France, where they, the government is is making spectrum available for private licensed use for uh, manufacturing firms and that, and that type of thing. Okay. So for instance, um, Paris airports are rolling out um, um, cellular coverage uh, on the airports there and they're using Spectrum, which is which is licensed for uh, industrial applications or for private use. Yeah, so this one, I, I was dis almost described CBR as something in between those, what we see in Germany and what we see in the traditional li licensed Spectrum <coughs> in the US. <laughs> In the sense that there's two variants of it, and it's it's mm -hmm. covered smaller. You can you can access it in, in smaller areas, and some of it you don't even even need a license at all at all. So it'll be interesting to see where it's going. But it's there's a lot of momentum around it, and um, I, I think we we think it's exciting because we it's most likely going to be in applications that we perhaps haven't really envisioned before. Yeah, when when talking about 5G and the 5G rollout in them. North America. Uh, yeah, like you said, it started early there. Um, do you have an idea why why it uh, started so early in the US? Uh, was it uh, was there a specific uh, goal or or was there something that made the US be uh, uh, so fast? I remember also that they they started off a lot on the high band back then, right? You're correct. Yeah, so the high band spectrum was licensed first, so so that was the uh, the f first spectrum, and and I think the the reason why we saw a lot of interest for high band in the beginning is that that was seen as the um, the five G spectrum with the most advanced capabilities, mm. and everybody was quite keen to understand how will five uh, milliwatt wave uh, behave in real life conditions. So I'd say part of why it started so early was that. Uh, uh, U.S. service provider really wanted to understand the technology inside out and see exactly what it could do, so that you then could build solid business plans based on on findings in real networks rather than theoretical studies. The other thing was that you, we have almost a saturated market when it comes to mobile broadband in in the U.S. So with the traffic growth that we are seeing in the network, it was starting to become evident that you had to move into new spectrum types, uh, new spectrum bands, to be able to to support the traffic growth. And not risking coming to a situation that where the traffic was growing and growing and growing, but you can grow fast enough in in the networks. So that pushed pushed it forward a, li a, li a little bit earlier. 
And then you've seen that the uh, the allocations of spectrum has has been very much high band first, then low band, and then mid band or a little bit mix of it. So mm. all spectrum has not been made available at the same time. So a lot of what strategies or network deployment strategies building on say you say okay, what spectrum do we have access to now, and what can we do with it, and then uh, get going with that. Yeah, I mean, there is a pragmatic element there that if you want to use Spectrum, then normally someone else is already using it. So that you need a process to liberate Spectrum and be able to repurpose it for, for a different application. So, you know, that, the, the time scales of, of those processes also plays in as to which Spectrum can be made available first. Yeah, exactly, because the, uh, the, the high band Spectrum was not really used at all. Uh, when uh, when you started, so that was easy to auction and, and start using mm -hmm. both the low band and mid band spectrum. Low band, you typically had uh, terrestrial TV channels in, in some of those bands, and uh, in mid band, there's some satellites uh, that, that are, mm. are in those bands or very close to them. And then there's, there's also some military bands in, in the US as part of the picture. So it's it's quite a bit of juggling in terms of figuring out okay, what do we do? Which bands do we want? And how can we free it up and then auction it out for for use? Yeah, and then back to the low band then. The the band that is now being used to to create coverage. Do do all the operators uh, now use all three bands? Or is do they have different sort of focuses? Well, so different focus. They have different spectrum assets. Uh -huh. So if you look at uh, T-Mobile, they have uh, both uh, low band uh, spectrum in 600 megahertz, they have mid band in two and a half gigahertz, and they're high band in 28 gigahertz, and, and some of the other high bands as well. But um, so they have been they have been building across all three three bands, and we uh, we had an article in the Ericsson Mobility Report uh, addressing just that and saying, well, when you have access to all three bands, what do you do then, and how could you leverage that? Not only that you're building across those three bands, but you're also starting looking at carrier aggregation between low band and mid band, for example, which gives interesting performance improvements. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, Verizon, Verizon has, has built in um, uh, with spectrum sharing in, in 700 megahertz, and they've been also building in uh, very aggressively in high band. So they have, um, by the end of this year, we have 30,000 high band radios deployed uh, in a variety of applications, both in central urban areas, as well as different kinds of sports venues, airports and, and, and factories and things. So there is, they've been building at the, at the, at the two edges. Mm. And, uh, and of course, of course, Verizon were one of the pioneers for using for 5G for fixed wireless access in the, in the US or probably in the world. Yeah, definitely in the world because they they actually launched uh, 5G in in uh, for fixed wireless access before it was re released for for mobile use. Mm. So um, so they're they, they are um, building both in uh, fixed and, and mobile right now, and we're pushing very hard for for millimeter wave and and, and building it out. And AT&T has been doing a very similar thing to what uh, Verizon has has done. Started very much in. Uh, in high band, build that out across a number of different cities and tested different use places for that, and then the national coverage in uh, in low band. Um, the both AT&T and Verizon have been using dynamic spectrum sharing, so sharing the spectrum in the in the low bands between 4G and 5G, 
T-Mobile has using dedicated spectrum in both their low, mid, and high band uh, deployments. So there's, there's di like different nuances to to to, to what uh, what the providers have, have done. You um, you mentioned use places uh, there, Peter. Do you do you want to explain what you mean by that? Yeah, use place. What, one thing that we start to see is that uh, it's like to this million dollar or billion dollar question regarding which use cases are going to drive deployments. Uh, it's almost a little bit easier to look at it from a use place point of view, actually seeing where will the initial 5G deployments go in, especially for the mm. more powerful version we talk about millimeter wave, that you don't build blanket coverage with that across the uh, metropolitan areas. But you go in and look at, at the place where you see there's either high concentration of people, so a high street, shopping street, downtown, or some something like that with, with just this very large people concentration, or the specific uses that you can see for a special industry taking advantage of it. So the build out of 5G and sports venues has been very uh, significant from the beginning. Mm. Uh, we've seen 5G millimeter wave used in factories and factory deployments. Uh, we've seen it being built out in uh, um, different kind of innovation labs that are now triggering innovation. So that not not everybody's coming to Ericsson's 5G lab and, and do the innovations. There's smaller other labs popping up where people can go and test their new innovation. Uh, seeing that, hey, does it work in the real life well, what we what we expect it to do. Um, and um, so there is a number of, of these different use places where you can think other places where we start to see as airports. We're using it both on the inside to connect passengers as well as on the outside to connect the, the planes and, uh, and and all the operations regarding bags and, and, and those kind of things. Uh, we see it do, being deployed in warehouses. Uh, we are looking at with a lot of these um, autonomous guided vehicles or small robots that's, that's uh, moving around on the, on, on the floor, They're having those connected. So I would say that a use place is a location where you can, we can have show a de demonstrable um, uh, business value of deploying a millimeter wave that um, then can support a large number of use cases because the hardest part in the beginning is is perhaps you can't really try to figure out all use cases eventually it can be used for you have to figure out the few use cases that can drive the initial <coughs> investment and that is very much the logic that's shaping uh, what's happening around the use place yeah i mean I, I sometimes think of millimeter wave a little bit like building a building a freeway or a motorway uh, you know, a very high capacity road and, and you re realize then that not everywhere actually needs a very high capacity road. You pick you pick the places you want to connect. Uh, yeah, and I, I normally compare it when I describe it to my mom. I say, hey, 5G is, 4G is like sunlight. It's everywhere, both on the outside and the inside, and it goes through windows. 5G, mm. especially millimeter waves, are a little bit more like street lights. You need to mm. figure out where you're going to put them and where you need them. And uh, sometimes they don't necessarily reach on the inside, so then you need to add some lights on the inside as well. But mm. it's it's more, and then it's a question. You you don't you don't have blanket coverage across the country with street lights. You put it around certain streets and certain locations where people live and so on. And it's it's a similar thinking regarding how how millimeter wave is shaped up. Mm. <laughs>
Yeah, and one of the use uh, places that was talked a lot about, at least uh, here within our Ericsson family, was uh, the new 5G factory opening in uh, the US, in Texas, uh, just uh, a few months ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's the only places I've gone to business trips to the last 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 20 mile, 20 mile drive where I, where I live. So, um, uh, but it's uh, it's it's a quite amazing thing. So, during during this millennium, or essentially since the end of 2G, we've not had uh, radio production at at scale uh, in the United States. So all of mm -hmm. that, all 3G and all 4G and and the early stages of 5G radios were were also well offshored and and produced uh, outside in, in in other countries. Uh, so there was we saw a little bit of shift in the thing, hey, it's starting to be changes in, in the in the global supply chains and so on. We're starting to become relevant to to produce closer to, to where the customers are. Uh, and it's not only that you like move a factory from, from abroad and, and, and move it back. It's more like you set up a new factory for the new things you're going to produce. So in our case, 5G radios, you put up that cl close to, to customers. And uh, it's enabled by essentially that you can drive, if you build a new factory from scratch today, uh, you can set it up for a very high level of automation. So mm, uh, yeah. you automate, essentially, so, so if, if you're in a, in a country with a little bit higher uh, labor cost, it doesn't really matter because you've automated the, the, the factory so much. Mm. So, um, so we decided to put the factory in, uh, in, uh, in Texas to serving in North America. It is uh, a factory that is uh, a roughly $100 million investment and eventually going to host 400 people there. Right now we're 250. And uh, it's quite fun uh, how this project has come about because we have built up that factory now during the pandemic. So um, uh, essentially where there was not possible for anyone to, to come and travel and visit us. And that goes for anyone working in any other Ericsson factories bringing knowledge to the new factory or any of our suppliers. Um, so one of the very first use cases we applied in the factory was um, augmented reality for connecting to both our vendors or partners and, uh, and to other factories to, to, to bring it up and get it up and running. And um, so it's, um, I, I think it's a quite spectacular um, factory in the sense, and it was recently recognized as one of the seven, only seven lighthouse factories in um, in the United States. Yes, one winning uh, awards and stuff, yes. Yeah. But would you say that it's sort of like a model factory that people can, or other companies can go and have a look at how how it, how 5G can be used in a factory or connectivity? Yeah, that's, that's what we've been hoping for for quite some while now. So opening it up so people can see it. But so far we have not mm. been able to receive guests in person, but it's, uh, it's definitely ah, something yeah. So that was one of the thoughts when we had it. We said that, well, if we push the envelope as far as we can regarding productivity, leveraging use of, of different type of network technologies. So we have, for example, we have both wired networks, we have Wi-Fi, we have CBRS, we have 4G, and we have millimeter wave. So we have a number of different networks in the factory and then have asked the people that work in there saying, hey, what do you pick what you think is best for each and every use case? So we're not trying to steer as much in what, what they do and they, they're coming up with that. And eventually we see it as a showcase. So it's, it's so much more powerful when you're instead of saying, telling people what they should do, 
when showing what you have already done and giving mm. some examples and ideas of, of how, how powerful it can be. Yeah, the 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 corona uh, has impacted not just uh, visits to a factory, but like the impacting us uh, us all uh, on a daily basis. Has it impacted the the rollout of of 5G in in the US in any way? Well, it has impacted in the sense that we work in a different way. So mm-hmm. I think we we, st- we have around ninety percent of our employees that, uh, working from home. So of course we can't climb towers from home, but. Uh, <laughs> That would be a little bit tough, but um, or stretch, but um, the the push has been there from the whole time. And what I think was clear to everybody in the in the beginning, they saw that hey, this whole thing, the Corona pandemic, it does not reduce the um, the demand on the network. Rather, the opposite, it's it, mm. it's pushing the demand towards the other end. So we have um, it's been pushing throughout this whole pandemic, and people doing a amazing job and readjusting to what everybody in the company have done to working from home and with with kids and cats and and all the things that we have around us and still doing an amazing job in in terms of of deploying these networks so it's um, I, I think it's quite remarkable mm-hmm. and now uh, i mean uh, uh, you're working in the us and the the, uh, the vaccination has uh, really they made a big difference there uh, I assume, and uh, well, it's it's been talk about opening up more and more stuff, but perhaps not you for s- you. No, you you were seeing that that it's uh, it's been uh, it's affecting clearly affecting the, um, the the economy, and and I think Texas, where I live, has been past pushing the envelope very early, wanting to open sometimes uh, perhaps at the absolute bleeding edge of what can be done. But um, what's what have happened is like the uh, it was it's been very aggressive vaccination plans. So you go into a grocery store and you can get vac- vac- vaccine in the in, in in the back there, and it's almost mm-hmm. coming for di- right now. It's coming with aggressive promotion for the people that have not yet decided to get vaccinated. You get discount on food if you get vaccinated, and all kind of these business model, which is a little bit special for this. But it's it's a strong push for that, and you're starting to see it's start right now starting to affect that um, restaurants being more open and, and and can take take more people and sports events are starting to get populated with people not playing front of empty empty halls any longer and uh, and things like that so <laughs> i think it's, it's coming along and it has been definitely been pushing the uh, the, the digital transformation across mm. pretty much every industry uh, the hard part is perhaps not only like okay we, we got we went from from covid or from from being physical at work all the time, and we were physical at events, and everything was physical, and then it went backwards. So everything was virtual, working with from home and virtual events, and all these kind of things. The challenge that I see is a little bit now when we're coming, we're not really going back to to what we had before. We're going back to a new hybrid. Uh, so perhaps we're going to office three days a week and not five. Mm-hmm. And how is that going to look like? Uh, because like everybody, oh, I do. I, I'm home Monday and Friday. Yeah, but everybody does that. Then we're 100% Tuesday through Thursday. So that doesn't really work. And um, <laughs> so there's, I I have a lot yeah. of respect for what hybrid is going to mean, and and uh, that it's perhaps not as a big step as it was to go to virtual, but still still significant shifts that's that's coming up along here and mm. affecting us uh, when, on on the network solutions we provide. Because what what would be the new norm for 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 hybrid working from home and things like that and what what network solutions will that require so it's mm. it's, it's a lot of interesting things going on there yeah that's what i think one of the things that is people we've seen in networks 
as more people work from home is a big shift in traffic patterns so obviously during the daytime more traffic in the home environment where people are working and less traffic in business parks and places where the offices are, are standing empty um, but maybe in the future we'll see a bit more a bit more balance and a bit more dynamic shift as people some days they're at home and some days they're in the office i think it's a, it's an interesting conversation that what what will happen with traffic patterns because we start the, I think we're starting to see the, the initiation of something that's probably been way more fluid so that mm. you will work at home, you'll work when you're in a vacation spot, you will, or you'll be able. And now with, with everybody's been so or so savvy and working with these different digital environments right now, you more or less don't really reflect if I'm going to put up a podcast recording from here or from there or from over there. Mm. You just you have some things that you bring with you and you can pull it off pretty much everywhere. And like what we are doing right now. Uh, Do you see that the the corona might actually have had an effect on uh, the US uh, going towards more rural and going towards more fixed wireless access or, or, or seeing that rural is more important uh, to build that connection in? There's two things that I see. The first one, if you look at a little bit of travel patterns and so on, it's way more people the right now they've been sitting in lockdown in the city for a long while if you look at the bookings for airbnb this summer in the us it's a lot more in in rural areas so mm-hmm. uh, people people i don't know if that is just a temporary because they they okay we've been in, in locked up at home now for a long while and now we want to get out and about mm-hmm. um but the other thing is is this when we look at the uh, at the rural broadband it's you have seen right now during the pandemic that the areas hardest hit is the areas without any any access to broadband, both for uh, young students uh, needing to get access to education and uh, people being able to work from home. And you see that in in the U.S. at least there is an issue with broad, rural broadband, both coverage and and, and, and adoption. Which where you can argue, you can see that that part of the economy with low broadband coverage and, and low usage has not been growing as fast as the rest of the economy. Economy, if you look at the whole the past decade, the whole 4G era. So right mm-hmm. now, when the pandemic comes and hit, you see you say, okay, we're we're worst equipped to deal with this because we don't have the infrastructure and and the tools in place. So mm-hmm. I think it's shifting. I think in the way it's shifting, the way people think about 5G from, uh, okay, it's okay if we are 10 years behind with the new technology, it doesn't really matter so much, to, hey, we should have 5G early because 5G is like 21st century farm roads. It's something that keeps <laughs> the rural economy connected yeah. to the rest of the economy. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, th- that we're going to see more push for, for, the, for those kind of things. It's a bit like the role of the railroad in in opening up the country and and uh, stimulating the economy. And it's a little bit like if you go back like hundred years in 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 the U.S., what really what happened is especially in Texas, which I happen to know a little bit about, was that you built a, a very extensive farm road system, and all of a sudden there could be a lot of farmers out working, and they had like their the route mm. into the city where the demand was. But without those routes, it would be impossible. We didn't build the routes for the city folks to be able to travel to the countryside. We built it for be able to to send all the food into into the city that was cultivated. In the, in the. So, <clears throat> and that was very much what the economy looked like back then. 
but there's tons of exciting things in rural areas like which you can't bring into the city like outdoor recreation and uh, and farming and taking farming to to the next level with precision agriculture that you can't bring into town and uh, windmills and solar like green energy production is most likely going to reside out there as well and there's all of other smart businesses because if we go down with an uh, aggressive agenda of building out 5G infrastructure so on in the, in the rural areas, then people there have the option to stay. They mm, don't feel, yeah. hey, we have to move to the city to 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 for interesting opportunities going forward. And I, I think that's a big, big question. Perhaps both this decade and next decade, and see how that will play out. Yeah, mm. yeah, that sounds certainly, certainly in Sweden during the pandemic. I think we we have seen a trend towards people moving home if you like going back to the, the the regions where they where they grew up because they can actually uh get a better quality of life uh you know accommodation is cheaper but they can still connect up and uh and they, they can do their job re- remote from the city yeah. mm. no I, i've seen that I've, i follow some of my friends here in sweden one when he was had taken a summer house and uh, they got the fiber in there and they spent more time there in their real house and we said what well, was why do you do it yeah we, we because the summer house is close to the water and and uh, it's been amazing weather and so no one in the office really know where you are so mm-hmm. in, in a digital world so i i think it has profound changes and as, as you pointed out also people moving back to where they they came from because we typically the reason why they moved was that they they got educated wanted to get educated to getting a degree and then finding a, a a job that was matching that and those jobs perhaps were more in the urban areas than the rural areas and then they they settled down there got married and got kids and and, and got going but this still taps a little bit of an interest of, of going back to the roots mm. yeah and it brings a, a sort of like a new opportunities to to the to the countryside and and also a level of freedom, I suppose, to uh, the people who, who who can work remotely. So that's yeah, but, a, that's no, a pretty absolutely. cool it's, it, it, it's thing. It's freedom and, and also to say, hey, there's a lot of people that are sitting and working in the cities today that would rather work in the, in, in the countryside if they mm. could. And mm. as long as connected now, it's like using an advertised for, for home, like either fiber connection or, or good broadband uh, available. That's a selling point as important as you've recently changed out the roof for <laughs> When you air conditioning in the house, like the broadband is perhaps moved up to very high up on the agenda of of, uh, of of the capabilities, and you don't need to be, you don't need to go outside of the cities. I we moved last year in Dallas, and uh, in our old house we had five megabit upstream. That's what I had, and it was 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 the issue in doing a lot of video related. Um, presentations and things like that and now we moved to a different different area and there was fiber available and all of a sudden everything is more stable and, and working so i i think it's not just a um a rural problem it's you have pockets in this just mm. you know, just reflected on what happened to us at, at ericsson in dallas when you had 2500 people that was working in one and the same campus every day versus spreading out 2500 over the whole uh, met- metroplex some has got fiber, some has got cable, some have got the poor DSL, some have got wireless. So the, just getting that machine to working, uh, like spreading out because people don't live as concentrated as we used to work. So it's a lot, lot of interesting things to happen there, I think. Yeah. 
Uh, and I guess we will see more about it in the future, right? <laughs> Is there anything when it comes to the US that you think that will be coming up uh, in the upcoming months or, or year or so when it comes to 5G? Is there anything that you're looking forward to seeing? I think it, it's we're seeing a lot of things right now in, in the US. We're pretty much at the battle for the early adopters. So you have um, expecting for 54 million uh, 5G subscribers by the end of the year. So it's a very high concentration. So it goes really quick. And it's like people go in and buy a new, new phone today. They say, well, it has 5G, right? So making sure that, uh, that the phones are 5G equipped. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think we, we've seen a lot of interesting things regarding different uh, business model with devices. And uh, well, so business model regarding the device subsidies and how that has been played out in, in the US, what type of service offering they have been offered, uh, how it has been bundled with uh, like family plans, some charging for fourth and fifth lines, others uh, are more including it in the family package. So there's a lot of interesting things I think going on on the uh, on the business model side for how early adopters are captured and now to looking at as we move into next year, perhaps more the early majority, uh, which is uh, I think is interesting to follow. Mm, we will surely do that. Well, there were some things that came up there where we were talking about uh, COVID and talking about working from home. And I know that um, we have this company called Cradle Point, which in the US, and and one of the, the areas where they've been active is actually in providing devices so that a com- if you're working in a branch office or if you're working from home uh, and the company is concerned about security of your connection, or as, as Peter says, maybe you, do, you have an old uh, wired cable connection, you can actually put a device into the into the home that is, is effectively fixed wireless access, you could say. It connects to the mobile network and it provides you with secure connectivity for your, for your business use, even though you're sitting at home. So it's the same as being in the office, but you're mm-hmm. at home. No, but it's, there's a lot of interesting things that the Cradle Point uh, does. I think they're connecting a whole variety of different type of um, of locations. So mm. uh, one one type of location is there for for branch offices, either for a large company like Ericsson. We have branch offices across all of the United States, uh, and all of those branch offices have uh, have a backup connection. So we typically have both a primary and a secondary uh, connection to those buildings. So. Um, fixed wireless uh, in, in in those cases have been used as a backup connection for for that's a widely established uh, solution today. Mm. Uh, the second one is uh, small and small and medium businesses. And if you look at the fiber penetration today in the U.S. to small business buildings, so a building where there's less than 20 people working, I think it's around 13% of those one that has fiber connection as well. Everybody else don't have it. So when you want something quick and when you want something which is decent, good performance to those uh, locations, uh, a cradle point has been a, a logical choice. You're also seeing that there is right now, I would say talking about COVID, there's these tents where people are coming to get vaccinated and you get drive-through vaccinations and there's a little tent they typically have to have be connected and say hey who is who is coming right now is this person what's their insurance look like and so on so those tents have been connected so a lot of those ones have been powered up by by cradle points mm-hmm. and then you have of course people at home um, where you're seeing that uh, well if there is inferior wired connectivity and you you need to work from home now now it's not that you're going to work from home in two years it's home and you have to work from there that, that this has been a great solution for for that and uh, i think we're also seeing that 
when you talk about larger IoT solution, not the smartwatch perhaps, but uh, if you look at the vending machine that someone wants to put up in a, in, a shop, in a shopping area, those vending machines, fairly large, big and bulky, powered by wall power, so power consumption for any kind of device is not really an issue. Then you can put in a, in a cradle point in those ones and connect those ones. There's a whole lot of, I say, very interesting uh, applications that cradle point has pioneered in the United mm. States that I think we're going to see in the rest of the world pretty soon when people realize, okay, is that really gone that far? That I had no mm. idea about. But 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 I think the the interesting thing with uh, those devices is that you know normally we're talking about building the five G network, but this is actually turning it around. This is this is well, how do I use the five G network to deliver connectivity further into um, the, the into my office or into my branch or into my fire truck or whatever it is? Exactly, and it's not and it's not limited to four G to five G neither. It's uh, a lot of it has been actually pioneered with four G. So it's it's proven and tested, and for four G you got the benefit that hey the networks already existed from the beginning, so mm. um, so it's just where where do you need it, and so a lot a lot of is like this dynamic things that's popping up and popping down. You need to shift and you need to move and you need to change. Wireless is perfect for those kind of things where you don't mm. I'll pull a wire and then it's sitting there for for ages. <laughs> cool. And uh, now also we got some uh, cradle point plugs in there. <laughs> Good on cradle point. Now, but it's, it's it's fun. It's also what you see. There's a lot of things we don't think of. We had the 5G Things event now on the 23rd of June. So cradle point brought one of their partners in Telesite and they talked about what are the different tests that you can do in a factory for securing the, the health protocols that we need to have in place now when we're going back to the office. So they talked about a wirelessly connected solution to, to screen people as we go into the office in the morning. Uh, why is technology making sure that we keep socially distanced during the day and don't get too close to each other and seeing patterns like that. And uh, also the face detection saying, hey, we, we, we mandate that you have the mask on in this uh, facility here. Does everybody have that? So a lot of those, when you put out stations, you don't really, this is not like you do a master plan and, and two years later you launch it. It's like, we need a plan now because we need to implement it in August. Then you have to be a, a not nimbler and then having a wireless solution that you then can move around based on what you learn as you deploy it is super valuable. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, there's a lot of interesting things in the in the cradle point uh, corner and um, that they move things that move from the cradle actually to to right now deployed in scale. Yeah. Uh, no, I think there is, I think that's just a, one example of the things we're going to see in in the enterprise space going forward. I mean, the consumers have been the, if you like, the mainstay of 4G. I think, but uh, businesses and enterprises have, have a, there's a lot for them in in the 5G world. Absolutely, it's uh, I think it's the, the the most exciting opportunity of if you if you look at what 5G can do for businesses and also what 5G can do for for communities uh, in a broader sense for for healthcare mm. and 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 education and and these kind of sectors that any part of society any wherever it's located has to take care of i think we can make big differences there yeah well it's uh, it's really nice to to hear about all these uh, new things and and the uh, types of of connections and that what they can bring uh, going forward. Uh, thanks so much, Peter. Uh, we have to, I'm afraid we have to finalize this uh, podcast now, but I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about new things. Always shortly. available as, 
always available. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, both uh, yeah. Janina and Paul. And enjoy your stay in Thanks. Sweden, Peter. Yeah. Will do. Thank you very much. And thanks everyone for listening and bye. Bye.